welcome to Getting Hot in Here, your shortcut to understanding the facts of the climate crisis and what we can all do to make positive changes in our homes, workplaces and communities. So we are very, very lucky today to be joined by our friend, Andrew. He's a great friend of the podcast and also happens to be a waste management expert. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I have been a big fan of the podcast. So Andy is a friend of ours and has been for quite a while and um, happens to work in waste management. So we thought if we're having a conversation about waste and recycling, no better person to have that conversation with. Get in the big dogs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like so many others, we always have questions when going to the recycling bin. Mm. So it will be great to go to the expert and find out exactly what we should and shouldn't be doing, what we're doing right, what we can do better. So I work for a waste management company. Uh, and my role with that company is an environmental and waste educator. Did, what did you study? How did you get there? Yeah, good question. It was a curly roundabout way of getting there. So I originally went to university and studied biomedical science. At the end of my initial science degree, I took some time off and went overseas. And within that time was told by someone that I talk about the environment a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to get some enjoyment out of your life, if you do what you love, Mm. it's a great way of doing it. So when I came back to Australia, came back and have been studying environmental science and have been working in waste management since then as well. So we like to start every episode uh, with a climate uh, triple C or confession, celebration or conundrum. Who wants to start us off? I have a celebration today and I am feeling relaxed and excited because at work we had a wildlife sewing bee last week. Yeah, Yeah, it was really nice. So we were sewing pouches for orphaned wildlife from the bushfires from all around Australia, Mm. which is in one sense tragic because we needed to, but it Mm. was really nice to see everyone coming together and the amount of community support where you had members of the public and other people from the organization bringing in sewing machines Mm. and fabrics. And I also learned to sew. (laughs) So I can now make my own clothes and fix my own clothes eventually when I learn a bit better. Make your own pouch, Jill. That's that's what you've learned. Yes, for now I can make my own pouch. Nice. That's awesome. I've also got a celebration. So last weekend... Mm. We had a surprise birthday party for my partner, Sean, and Sean and I got there. We saw that there were already these recycling bin setups. There was a container just for bottle cap lids. <laughs> I'm like looking at one. I'm totally going to hijack your yeah. celebration. So it was, it was me. <laughs> and for those who don't know, because I don't think we've ever said this no. on the podcast, Sean is Nikki's brother. Um, yeah, so we were setting up during the days. So we set up like specific containers for just your beer bottles and stuff. So we could go to uh, a specific bottle recycling place. And then we had other recycling set up for other stuff. And then I even um, yeah put a little thing to, to the side to get all the bottle caps to put them together. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and it was just so like nice to see a bunch of like young dudes getting so into recycling yeah. like everyone's like oh yeah we'll, we'll do that we'll love it yeah absolutely <laughs> the coolest thing was that this the weekend following they hosted their own parties <gasps> and it was in the event description about their recycling like okay all cans will will donate all of that to the fires anything that oh, and then cool. yeah. the for all the bottles yeah that's a profit from the party 
Do you have a confession, conundrum, or climate celebration to share with us? Yeah, I do. I uh, So this year in 2020, it was something that I started at the end of last year, but have been continuing and have been doing really successfully, mm-hmm. is I subscribed to a veggie delivery box. Uh, and I'll give them a plug. It's called Ubi, and that stands for Out of Our Own Backyards. Cute, and it so is great. an incredible system yeah. where they connect with a whole lot of farmers around Sydney, which is where I live. They do get some fruit and veg in from further away. So like bananas are grown in Queensland, so they come down. But it's all organic. Uh, it's really supporting the farmers. Uh, and it's a really well-designed business model. Unfortunately, it's not available in Brisbane, but it's, <laughs> it's, I love the food so much. It's so tasty. It's so delicious mm. and it's really healthy. I just love doing it. Amazing. That's so good. That's That's a good one. Awesome. Yeah. Can we start with just a general question? What is waste? It's a good question and it seems really simple at first. And I think everyone, when they think of waste, it's just something that you throw away, something you don't need anymore. And it's something that for most of us, we throw into a bin and we forget about it. Everything that we throw into the bins has the potential to be reused if we process it in the right way. So instead of thinking it as something that you don't need anymore, I like to think of it as a really useful product, a really useful commodity that we can actually use again. And the term that we use, the buzzword, is a circular economy. Mm. So once you throw something in the bin it can find its way back into a into use again and this is a system that isn't perfect at the moment and it requires a lot of work and that starts right at the beginning of the design and the concept of a product mm. so when people are sitting down and thinking about what they're going to make what all manufacturers should be doing is designing something and thinking about its end of life So it can either be recycled or reused again. So where does all of our waste go at the moment? Each local council area is specific and individual. So not every item is recyclable in the same system. And a common system in Australia is a three-bin system, being a red-lidded, a yellow-lidded and a green-lidded bin. So all of your general waste, your landfill waste, will all go in the red-lidded bin. Recycling will go into a yellow bin and garden waste can go into a green bin. So all of the red bin, all of the general waste in Australia, goes to landfill. Basically just a big hole in the ground that we dump our rubbish into. We have a yellow littered bin for our recycling. Once it's been collected in the recycling truck, taken to a MRF, M-R-F, and that stands for Materials Recovery Facility. These are big factories, big recycling factories that accept all of that recycling in the back of that truck and they put it through a big convoluted conveyor belt system to sort everything out. In Australia we put lots of things into the same yellow recycling bin so plastic bottles can go in there, metal cans, paper, cardboard, glass bottles as well. They need to be separated before they can be recycled. So that's where they do that at the MRF and they put everything into different piles, bundle it all up where it can be then sent away to a recycler and turned into a new product. Is that where they use things like magnets to pull out your metal-based prog- products or like weight shifting systems to get things of different densities? Is that what they do in the conveyor belt? Absolutely, okay. yeah. So the first step, it goes through a big spinning cylinder that's called a trommel 
and that is separating out all of the heavy items. Mm-hmm. So it's a big cylinder with lots of holes in it, and all the so heavy... It's like centrifugal force to get it to Exactly, everything's spinning around in this cylinder. So all of those heavy items fall through that trommel. The paper and the cardboard continue to spin around, and they move down the trommel, and then will exit onto a conveyor belt where they can be collected, baled, and then recycled. Everything else continues along another conveyor belt where a magnet will separate out all of the iron that's in there, and that's iron that's in a steel can. And then there are a whole lot of different systems, optical sorters now that use light to distinguish between different colours of glass. If you have it all mixed together, then it all turns into a murky coloured glass that isn't actually appealing to use again. If you can collect all of your clear glass bottles and recycle them, you can make more clear glass that can be used again. They do a very similar thing with plastics, so use optical sorters again, and they can separate them out. So all of these things, once they've been recycled, are a commodity and they get sold. So everything is dependent on the market, and that's an international market. There are some buyers in Australia that buy recycled material. Some also get shipped overseas. And like any market or any economy, things fluctuate. So I had heard that if you want something to be recycled, when you choose plastic, you're better off to get something that is a clear plastic or not a black plastic. But that, by the sounds of it, doesn't matter so much. It doesn't matter so much. There are sometimes issues with black plastic. Maybe some people have seen on the ABC's War on Waste television program that came out with Craig Rucastle. Uh, they identified there the black plastic trays that are often used as uh, the meat, the base of a meat tray. In some systems, the light won't pick up the black plastic. No light is reflected from black and they will continue along the conveyor belt and into a bin that goes off to landfill. So there's also a green bin that we have at home as well and that's commonly for our garden waste, leaves, grass clippings, there are some systems where they're moving to a FOGO system, so that's food organics, garden organics, F-O-G-O. And so in some council areas, you can actually now put your food scraps in that green bin as well. But generally, the green bin is for things that come out of the garden. So that's sort of moving more to like a composting system rather than like a mulching green waste system. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there are different types of composting systems. Uh, So there are some factories that are your standard composting system where you do put things in big piles Mm. and wait for it to break down. There are other systems like an anaerobic digester. So they're big tanks where you put all of that food waste in, all of that garden waste, and it breaks it down. And that's actually, that forces it to generate a lot of methane. Mm. And as you discussed in your first episode... Methane is horrible for our mm. environment. It's, it's radiative forcing is 25 times worse than carbon dioxide. And so when it's generated in these anaerobic digesters, they harvest it and burn it to create energy. Yep. And they still have another compost product at the end, That's really which we cool. can yeah. reapply to our land. We've heard lots about countries overseas no longer accepting our waste or our recycling products. What happens to our waste once it has been sorted? So that was a huge disruption to the Australian recycling industry. So a couple of years ago, China announced a new national policy. It was called the China Sword Policy. And 
they wanted to tighten up all of their regulations around their acceptance of waste from other countries. So China is a huge booming country with a huge economy and they have traditionally been accepting a lot of waste and recycling from other countries. Other countries were taking advantage of them. So they were sending them their recycling. So they might send them a big bale, a big cubed up bale of plastic bottles ready to be shredded and recycled. And some countries within that bale were hiding things like an engine block. Yeah. Because engine blocks are incredibly hard to recycle. Yeah. China had enough of that and they tightened it up. So they are still accepting waste. A lot of people think they banned it completely, but it was just a tightening of those regulations. So their, it's their contamination level that they're mm. tightening. So it's now things with less than 1% contamination. Right. So it's sort of more forcing people to do it properly in order to accept it rather than saying we're not going to do it at all. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's not just stop hiding things in your bales of plastic. <laughs> Please stop giving us things that we cannot do anything with. Yeah. That's also, they all of these things need to be clean and dry so that yeah. they can be recycled, not contaminated with a whole lot of other things. Yeah. That's so, interesting and seems to come back to looking at the bins as well. What are we generally doing wrong? People don't seem to know what goes in, what can go in and what yeah. can't go in. So there's lots of things that shouldn't be going in there that are, that's called contamination. And when that goes to the MRF, that recycling factory, that then messes up all of their systems there. So it's either contaminating all of that recycling that's in there or it's messing up the machinery that they have. So a really big problem is plastic bags. Mm. And I think that a lot of people think plastic so they think recycling. So yeah. plastic bags can go into the yellow recycling bin. But when they go there, they're light and loose and they fly around and they can jam up all of those machines that are in there. They're incredibly expensive to fix. And even just having it down for 30 minutes or an hour while they take out one plastic bag is a huge drop in productivity for them. So it costs them a huge amount of money. So does that mean that it's more like it's an operational issue rather than a material issue? So does that mean like, like the actual material of the plastic bag can in itself be recycled, but it's just that the form that it's in, in that something that's light and flowing around and gets like clogs up the machinery, that that's the issue with it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So plastic bags and all other soft plastics can be recycled mm. through a different system. So that's Red Cycle, mm -hmm. which I think you guys have also spoken about before. And so that's at the supermarkets at Coles and Woolies where you can take your soft plastics back mm. and it will be recycled. So what plastics are better at being recycled? Generally, the products, the plastic products that are hard, but not so hard that they're completely rigid. Okay. So a really good simple test if you want to put something, a plastic product in your recycling bin is just a squeeze test. So if you have a plastic bottle, like a milk bottle or a soft drink bottle, and you can squeeze it a little bit so it bends, and then when you release it, it pops back into place and holds its structural yeah. integrity, that can generally mean that it can go in the recycling bin. If it's a soft plastic like a plastic bag or a chip packet and you can scrunch it up into a ball in your hands, then that cannot go in. And the same on the other end. So if it's a completely rigid plastic like a plastic toy and you can't squeeze it at all, 
you need to keep that out of the recycling bin as okay. well. So Barbie's no-go. Barbie's no-go. Say like a hard plastic bowl that you might have smashed in the kitchen that cannot go in the recycling That's bin. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're like you've got your squeeze test for your plastics that are going in the recycling and then scrunch test. Would that be then something that goes into red cycle? A scrunch test is yep. the perfect test for red cycle. So awesome. that's what okay. they say themselves. Yeah. Give it a, give it the scrunch test yeah. and then take it back to the supermarket yeah. to be red cycled. So a more technical way of looking at the different types of plastic is the little triangle that you might see on plastic bottles and plastic products. So it's a common misconception that that little triangle means that it is recyclable. Because that triangle of the three arrows moving around mm. has become synonymous with recycling. I'm so glad that you brought this up because we were like asking other friends about what they would want to hear from a recycling episode. And one was just like, what do the triangles mean? <laughs> the little triangle, it will normally have a number inside of it. And it'll be mm. a number from one through seven. And all that is identifying is the type of plastic that it's made from. Right. So there's seven different types of plastic there. These are just different types of plastic. Recently, a new label has been designed, and that's called the Australasian Recycling Label. At the moment, it's a voluntary system. They don't have to have it on there. Hopefully, we will move to a point where every product has it on. Mm. If you buy a product, have a little look on the label, and there's going to be a system now, and it will tell you the different parts of that thing that you bought and if they're recyclable or not. So often we buy something and there's plastic and cardboard all wrapped up in that packaging and it will tell you the plastic tray is recyclable, the cardboard is recyclable, the plastic mm. film that's on top that you can scrunch up into a ball is not recyclable. But it will say that you can take it back to the and they've designed a really good system where they work with the packaging designers to put it on there. They've done mm. it in a small, nice way so that it doesn't take up too much space. And it's so helpful. And it's even a great thing to use when you're at the shops trying to decide what to buy. Yeah, true. Because we do have so much choice and you can actually use that label to help you choose what to buy. That's really great. And I heard a long time ago, but haven't done enough research on that, that... 70% of the aluminium that has ever been produced is recycled and is still in circulation. So I've been choosing canned drinks when I really need to buy something rather than something in plastic. Is that what we should be looking for instead, just looking at that it can be recycled or is there something that is more likely to be recycled mm. and to be reused when we're picking what we are going to buy? Well, definitely. Starting at the, the level of that label is a great place to start. Can it or can't it be recycled? But everything in the waste industry is incredibly, incredibly complex and there are some things that are more recyclable than others. Mm. So right up the top there, like you said, is an aluminium can. So aluminium is almost indefinitely recyclable and it can keep being recycled again and again, being smelted back down and made into a new product. Things like plastic can be recycled, but not forever. So this is where the terms upcycled and downcycled come in. So plastic is something that gets downcycled. You might have something that is really useful, like a plastic bottle, mm. and that's food grade. You can put a drink in it and consume it. Once you recycle that, you might be able to get another plastic bottle out of it and 
another soft drink brand, Coca-Cola, has just recently announced that they can now make, and they are, making some bottles out of 100% recycled plastic. Up until now, it doesn't have the structural integrity to be safe enough to do. So when you say 100% recycled, so does that mean that they've previously been using bottles that are using partially recycled, but then they'll mix in some original plastic to give it that structural integrity? That's right. Right, okay. So it's called virgin plastic then when plastic is a byproduct of oil. So when oil is mined or drilled, it's then cracked into a whole lot of different products, some of those being jet fuel Mm. or the petrol or petroleum that we use in our cars. And another is that it gets refined and made into plastic products. There are some technologies that can actually turn plastic back into oil. What? Which is no just way. incredible. They're very new. They're very expensive. But yep. <laughs> the technology is there. So hopefully in the future, we will continue to move away from plastics. Yep. But we can also convert the plastics that we have back yeah. into the oil in the mm-hmm. first place. Yeah, because that's crazy. Because I mean, like the amount of plastic that's in the world already is incredible. And plastic is such a problem in our world. However, plastic is an incredibly useful Mm. thing. And it's really just the single-use plastics that we don't actually need in our lives that we can start getting rid of. Mm. Things like plastic bags and plastic straws, there are alternatives to use that, to that already. But there are other areas that plastic is just so useful. And I think the best example of that is a hospital setting where countless numbers of lives are saved every day because of plastic. My previous work experience, I was working in biopharmaceutical manufacturing. We were using single-use plastic. We had to grow cells in these bags. And if we were going to use stainless steel alternatives, the chemicals that we would use, the cleaning chemicals, would probably be harsher on the environment and have more negative effects. So it was more about how we're going to treat and how we can use plastic and different materials without the negative, like just looking at the whole life cycle of it, as you were saying, and being legacy minded when we're making decisions about, like it's it's really complicated and nuanced and there's not a a right solution all the time. So much that goes into it. It's not just about is something recyclable or not. There's so much more to a product that makes it environmentally sound or not. Mm. Or the best environmental option of a host of options that all have drawbacks, yeah. That's right. And the effects on the environment aren't just... So It's more than just the plastic in the ocean. There's also the toxicity involved. Mm. There's the carbon that's released into our atmosphere. So thinking of it in a larger system is incredibly beneficial. So a plastic bag was originally designed as a replacement for a paper bag. Mm. So rather than cutting down all these trees to make all of these paper bags that were being used, someone designed a new product, a plastic bag, to replace it. However, his original intention was that plastic bag should be used again and again and again and again, rather than the single-use paper bags that were always being used. That's not how we're using them now. Plastic bags are used in Australia on average for about 7 or 11 minutes from the time you put your product in it at the shops to the time you get it home and put it in the fridge. That's crazy, 7 to 11 minutes. And that's that's the end of its use. Most people then are then throwing it out straight away. Maybe they reuse it once for their bin liner. How long does it take for a plastic bag to break down? A plastic bag, all types of plastic take 
a huge amount of time, hundreds of years. So I live in a big apartment block and people obviously don't always understand what recycling means. You go down and you go into the big recycling bins and you might find somebody's old lawn chair and a whole bunch of styrofoam, which to my understanding cannot be recycled. What happens when a bin is a recycling bin is contaminated like there's a certain amount of contamination that is acceptable and in those recycling trucks so normally i think people will be familiar with the sidearm trucks the arm comes out picks up the bin lifts it up over top and dumps all of the recycling in there are cameras stationed all around so the driver can see what's going into the bin and if there's too much going in there then eventually it gets to a point where that whole truck might be taken off to landfill Wow! which just undoes everybody's good work of recycling which just highlights that importance of knowing what can and can't be recycled and doing the right thing but there is a certain amount of contamination that is acceptable and the vast majority of the time these trucks do go to the MRF so they, when they do go to the MRF, uh, there's that system, the trommels and the different machines that are sorting everything out. So that system is taking the recycling out of that stream and the rest of it will continue down the conveyor belt and into a bin which will, will be landfilled. So if there is a small number of things in there that shouldn't be, they will be landfilled at the end and the rest is extracted and then recycled. Is there anything you would recommend for me living in this big apartment block? Is there anything I can do to improve the situation here? There's so much, Jill, and I'm so (laughs) glad you asked. (laughs) So there are often lots of people either working for a waste management company like myself or might be working for your local council whose specific job is to work with apartment buildings and try and help them to make recycle their recycling better so you start with engaging as many people in the building as you can and that can simply just start with some signs down in the bin area so putting up some really good signs and these are probably available for free from your council of stickers that can go on the bin or on the wall of things that should and things that shouldn't be going in that yellow recycling bin and workplaces as well, is that something that um, there are people to help with as well or is that something I can shame my office colleagues in? <laughs> Happy to, I, I'm ready. Oh, get, get in there and shame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, workplaces being a business, <laughs> you'll probably have to do that yourself but these resources are so readily available that you can do that and you can then even start, maybe you can engage someone at your business and they might even fund you to get your own stuff made so that it's got your logo on it or you can design it in a way that there are certain things specifically your workplace that people are doing all the time Mm. so you get some targeted information out there pipette tips there's so many wasted pipette tips yeah is there there any like yeah (laughs) relatable problems um no but in science and uh lots of labs there's so many random bits of plastic Um, yeah yeah so maybe 
I'm not sure. Do you have any experience in lab waste? Is there different things that I yeah definitely. resources I can find definitely. And I remember that from my biomedical science mm. days of in that sharp spin, just dumping yeah. those pipette tips yes. and just thinking, oh gosh, I know that they're not going to be recycled. Yeah, um, they're they're going to be autoclaved and, and yeah. burnt maybe or just dumped. What's autoclaved? When it's uh, heated oh, to a temperature okay. that it kills all of the bacteria that you're working with yeah yeah mm. okay yeah because that was going to be my question actually like with a lot of stuff out of a, a lab or in a scientific sort of space can any of it be recycled so there are some companies out there that deal specifically with these health related or science related plastics and waste and they are really starting to get into gear and finding ways that these plastics that are being used and are so useful in this setting, they can be cleaned and then recycled. So there are some, when you're putting things into sharp spins, which are, will be all over hospitals or all mm. over science labs, they're a nice safe bin. They've been really well designed so that you can put things in them and then they are taken off. Some things, unfortunately, have to be disposed of safely uh, and they can't be recycled, especially if there's things like blood and diseases yeah. involved. Yeah, true. But there is so much that is used that can. And if they're put into the right bin, if they're source separated in the workplace setting, absolutely can still be recycled. So source separation is another of those buzzwords that gets thrown around all the time in the waste industry, which basically just means separating out your waste. So rather than just having one big bin that you throw everything into, it's all source separated. So you'll have a general waste bin, you'll have a recycling bin, food waste bins, you can have a soft plastic bins to take everything back to recycle, a container deposit bin. In most states in Australia now, there will be those machines where you can take your bottles back get 10 cents for them at christmas our neighbors were collecting all the cans in the neighborhood and mm. bottles and i didn't know and i just saw mum walk into my neighbor's yard lob over a <laughs> bottle <laughs> into their backyard i was like mum what are you doing <laughs> and then the whole neighborhood just lobbing bottles into their yard and they were wow. them up. so can you talk us through like how much i should be washing out like food containers or like containers from the like bathroom before I put them into the bin? Is it an issue? Why is it an issue? Uh, your recycling should be clean and dry when you're putting it into your recycling bin. And the reason it's an issue, as we spoke about before with contamination, is once it gets to the MRF, if it's full of food scraps or it's a drink bottle that's still full of water, that is going to contaminate everything else that's there. So generally, it needs to be clean and dry. Clean, however, isn't sparkling clean. So don't spend hours washing out everything. Give it a quick rinse. Make sure it's empty first. Labels are an acceptable amount of contaminations. They'll come off in the recycling process. Bottle caps, probably something that you should be taking off. Always check with your local council because that does differ with some of them. But it is better to take the plastic lid off a plastic bottle Normally, they're made from a different type of plastic. So it might be a clear plastic bottle and they'll have the blue plastic lid made from a different type. So if that recycling center does want to separate all of those plastics to increase the value, it's really hard 
to take all those caps off. So when you take the caps off, do you then put the caps back into the recycling as well? Because I keep hearing that like the size of bits that go in there can be an issue. So I know you spoke earlier about how a plastic bag can clog up a machine. Can small little bits of plastic also cause issues like that? Less of an issue, more of it just probably won't get recycled. So when you think about these recycling centres, these MRFs, they are big, big places with big machines. So little things like a bottle cap just aren't big enough to be caught up in that system. What a really good tip is, is to actually collect them all together in a bottle of the same type of plastic. Another good example of that is aluminium foil. Often we use that in small pieces. You might be wrapping up a sandwich or whatever you're using it for. And that a small piece of aluminium is not going to be caught in this system. It's going to fall through. So what you should be doing is collecting all those small pieces of aluminium, collecting it enough so that when you scrunch it into a ball, it's about the same size as a tennis ball, and then that can go in there, and that's big enough then to be caught in that system. Niche but important question, Easter egg wrappers, that alfoil. <laughs> it is an important Niche, question. But highly important to yeah. our lives. <laughs> is, it, is there plastic on that, or is, is it still fine to be put into a ball? Tear test is always a good one. If it just tears and it does just seem like it's aluminium, then it probably is. If you tear it and it's stretchy like a thin bit of plastic, things are like that are really hard to separate when they're fused together. That's the reason that coffee cups aren't recyclable either. The standard coffee cups that you get when you get a takeaway coffee, there's a plastic liner on the inside that's fused to the cardboard. Coffee cups are a huge problem, huge contaminant in recycling bins. Yeah. What about pizza boxes? I've heard you can't recycle them because there's too much oil. Is that a thing? So when paper and cardboard is recycled, it is all put into a big tank, water's added, and it's all pulped down, mixed up, shredded up, and you can then extract the paper fibres. If there's oil and cheese and everything else in there in that tank as well, then it's just contaminating the whole thing and you're not getting a good quality product at the end. What I normally do with a pizza box, if it is uh, really oily and cheesy, then I'll rip that pizza box in half because normally it's the bottom half that's got the oil in it and the top half is clean. The clean half I'll put in the recycling bin Mm -hmm. and then I'll rip up the oily bit and put it through my compost bin. I have just a little thing about bottle lids as well. I know at my workplace they collect bottle lids and the little tags off bread bags Mm -hmm. those hard plastics we collect all of those and they are then sent somewhere that they make prosthetics out of them so if there is somewhere that you know that collects them you can save up your bottle caps and your bread tags for that amazing i'm glad you brought it up i meant to say that before it's called lids for kids so you can collect all of those bottle lids um, and they are they're made into prosthetic limbs what do you see as the biggest barriers to greater um, recycling or waste management systems? As an environmental educator, I'm obliged to say education. (laughs) But I fundamentally believe that as well. If people know what to do and how to do it, they will do it properly. Because the vast majority of people will want to do the right thing. They're just not really sure how to do it. So just education, just telling people, talking to people about it and letting them know how it is done. Do you think there's many technological challenges left or barriers for us to be able to have that circular economy or do you think it's just an education and people-based challenge left? No, I think there's so much more that we can be doing. Um, 
there's so much more we could be doing right now. It's not that we have to sit around and wait for technology to fix our problems. A lot of these things already exist. Uh, options for food scraps and organic waste already exist. The technology to recycle coffee cups already exists. And I also need to mention that you can have a keep cup. You don't need to use a takeaway cup mm -hmm. in the first place. So preventing that waste creation in the first place is key. And if we talk about the waste hierarchy, which you might have seen is an upside-down triangle, and so right at the top of that, the thing that we most want to do is avoid creating waste in the first place. So if we've avoided it, we don't actually need to recycle it or deal with it anyway. On that waste hierarchy, below that avoidance is then the three R's, reduce, yes. reuse and recycle. So once you've avoided creating the waste, you reduce the amount of waste that yep. you're making. You then move down, reduce to reuse. You can start reusing things. Even those plastic bags you get from the supermarket, you can reuse again or have a reusable shopping bag that you're taking to the shops every time. And then we get down to recycle, putting those things in the recycling bin so it can be sent away and turned into a new product. Then down the bottom is landfill. So that's the last option that we want. It doesn't have a nice, you know, R-starting word to say because it's, it's the odd one out because it's the one that we want to avoid, yeah. <laughs> but there is a new R-sounding word, which is recovery. So that would slot in just above landfill and below recycling. So that's collecting those things that would normally be destined for landfill and sending them off to a large factory, a large incinerator where it all gets burnt and all of that heat is then converted into energy, which can power homes and our economy. I heard in Sweden as well, they are no longer producing enough waste to run those incinerators. So they actually are taking waste from other countries because they no longer produce enough, which is a great outcome. Yeah, starting to import waste. Yeah. And it doesn't really exist yet in Australia. So in a lot of those European countries, they have one, the, the geographical pressure of space, so they don't have all this room for landfills, which we have in Australia. And the other thing is that those European countries are pretty cold. And when you are generating, when you're burning the waste and creating the energy, there's also a lot of heat. And so they harvest that heat as well and heat homes with it. So they're getting energy and heat. In Australia, we don't want heat, <laughs> and so we don't really need it. We do want the energy, so they're starting to come. There's a, a waste-to-energy facility that's about to open in Western Australia, uh, and there are proposals for some in New South Wales, in Sydney as well. So it's a space in Australia that the waste industry is looking at and starting to go down, but it's still really important, even with those systems, we need to still focus on the waste hierarchy of avoidance, reducing, mm. reusing and recycling. They come above that. And then with those things that you can't recycle, then it can be incinerated. We talk about on this podcast a lot is how it can be pretty overwhelming dealing with all of this because we talk a lot about the issues and the problems and all of the negative impacts of what we do. What makes you stay hopeful and how do you stay hopeful? Throughout history, we have overcome so many problems. Uh, we're facing an enormous problem right now with climate change, one that is 
induced by us. But it's that fact in itself that gives me hope. We created this problem. We absolutely can uncreate it and design our way out of it. And there are solutions right now that we can put in place. There are solutions that will be coming. Um, all we need to do is get up and get involved in it. Um, and I absolutely believe in the power of all of humanity to fix this problem. Working with kids as well is just <laughs> amazing. So teaching kids, working with them and just seeing the next generation coming through that is so passionate, so engaged and so ready to go out to the world and make big, big change. What a wonderful note to finish on. It has been so good having you in here. I thought I knew a lot about recycling, but I've learned so much from talking to you today. Thank you so much. So we hope that you enjoyed this interview with Andrew as much as we did, because, spoiler alert, after we finished recording, he agreed to join the podcast. So all four of us will be back in a fortnight's time for our next episode. So in the meantime, please check out our Instagram. It's at Getting Hot in Here Podcast, which is all one word. And our website is www.gettinghotinhere.com. If you liked what you've heard, please like, follow and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.